0: Cameron Holopeter was just waiting for his train at a New York City subway station. Another day in the life of this 20-year-old Harvard film student. And then suddenly, violently, things really went haywire as his mind and body went into a massive seizure. He stumbled around the, stu- the subway platform and eventually fell off the edge onto the rail bed below. You could already, can't make this up, you could already see the headlights of the oncoming train approaching the platform. No one caught this one on video, but we can uh, imagine how a lot of people would have reacted. There were those who were no doubt just kind of frozen, just kind of paralyzed by fear. There were those who just felt hopeless. I mean, what could I do in a situation like that? There were probably some gasps of horror, maybe some screams there. In a moment, this student who had dreams of being a Hollywood producer, those would be crushed as he was killed by the oncoming train, and apparently no one was going to try to stop it or knew what to do to try to stop it. Enter Wesley Autry. A 50-year-old construction worker, he jumped into the middle of the unfolding tragedy, broke free from the paralyzing panic of the other onlookers, and leaving his two small daughters behind on the platform, Wesley himself jumped down onto the tracks. This middle-aged black man from Harlem may have had little in common with the white Harvard student who lay writhing on the tracks, but he alone chose to involve himself in the unfolding situation that everyone else was just watching. He stepped across the barrier of fear and into the unknown for the sake of another person, a stranger. Jumping down into the train bed, he covered Cameron's writhing bleeding body with his own, he pinned him to the ground as the train thundered just over the tops of their heads. Save that man's life. Later, when he was interviewed about what had happened, he said that He knew he had to do something when he saw those headlights coming toward them. He said, I don't feel like I did something spectacular. I just saw someone who needed help. I did what I felt was right. You're supposed to come to the rescue of another person, he said. And now Cameron and Autry are friends. Autry says that the two men have more or less adopted each other, and he's told his two little daughters that they have a new uncle. In the aftermath, he won a Carnegie Medal for Heroism. He appeared on the David Letterman Show, and he's been invited twice to the White House. Uh, No one can deny he saved a person's life. I think what we're left to wonder after a story like that is, so what are the forces that held others from getting involved? I think we're left to wonder, would I have gotten involved? And we're left to wonder... What would motivate someone like Audrey to risk his life for the sake of a total stranger? And that brings us to the Good Samaritan. It brings us to Luke chapter 10. Perhaps the most famous parable Jesus ever told. I mean, hospitals are named after this parable. Orphanages. Good works, societies, there's even a tow truck company in Dallas that's named Good Samaritan Tow Truck Company. So, very influential story that Jesus told. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law, so this is the law of Moses, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Not a lawyer in the sense that we would think of today. So, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked... What must I do to inherit eternal life? By the way, that's kind of a funny question, isn't it? Because normally you don't do anything to inherit something. Someone needs to die in order for you to be given an inheritance normally. So it's kind of a funny question. Jesus said, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself jesus replied you have answered correctly do this and live but he wanted to justify himself so he asked jesus who is my neighbor now i want to pause right here before we get into the parable itself. This is the setup to the parable. This is what brought the parable on. Jesus is going to launch into that, but there's something more happening that we can easily miss. So when a rabbi was teaching, usually they're sitting down, okay? That's where they would do their authoritative teaching. They would be seated and when one of the disciples or someone had a question, they would stand and silently wait to be acknowledged by the rabbi. So that's what is happening here. This man, an expert in the law, stands. Now, in this situation, he's not asking a question to, to clarify something or to understand something better. Luke tells us he's asking a question to, to test Jesus. He's asking a question to trap Jesus he is the hunter all right Jesus is the prey in this story and so this question that he asks is teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life since he's a legal expert he should know the answer to this question and so Jesus just turns it around this is what Jesus does so brilliant He just turns things around, puts it back on him. He says, what do you think? You know the law. The man replies, well, love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gives him a gold star, A+. Correct answer. Do this and live, Jesus says. And this is the part of the Good Samaritan story that gets Missed. It is. Love God with all. One hundo, okay? With everything you have. All of your mind, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. Love God with your 100%, not your 99% not 98.4, you're at 100%, and love your neighbor as yourself, do this, and live. The problem, of course, do you see the problem? None of us have done this. This is the requirement for eternal life. None of us have done it. Are you kidding me? Love God with your 100%? Have you ever loved God with less than your... Yes, you have. And yes, you are right now. And yes, you will in the future. And love my neighbor as I love myself. Has anyone ever failed to do that? Yeah! But Jesus says, right answer. How are you going to get eternal life? Right answer. Do that. And live. Key setup to this parable. um, Key setup. Because essentially, the problem is none of us have ever pulled that off. And if eternal life depends on my compliance to the law, even to the two most basic requirements of the law, I'm going to hell. So we're in trouble here, aren't we? Which is why this legal scholar tries to narrow the whole thing down, tries to make it a little bit easier. So tell me, you know, who is my neighbor? Let's get this down to the three or four people who I have to love as myself. And this is why I put on the outline this morning, don't miss this. We want to get in the parable, right? The parable is great, right? But we miss what's going on Before the parable Don't miss it This is on the outline Most people read the parable of the Good Samaritan And completely miss a vital truth Jesus urges us to acknowledge When it comes to eternal life To salvation To heaven We are completely unable To make ourselves right with God We can only be saved by grace Period Do this and live. That's what pretty much every religion on the face of planet Earth says. Do this and live. Now, the three, four, five, six things may differ depending on the religion you're talking about. But do this and live. That's what pretty much every religion teaches. Follow these steps. Follow these practices. Pray these five times a day. Um, Do this and live. Get this stuff down. You're right with God then. Christianity says something very different. We know the rest of the story. And Jesus is on his way toward Jerusalem at this very moment. The the death, burial, and resurrection is just about to happen. What a perfect setup for this. Because Christianity tells us something very different. It doesn't say do this and live. It says Jesus already did this so you can live. His righteousness will be counted to you by your faith. And you will be saved by grace, by the gift of God. And I guess we missed that part of the story because the Good Samaritan, ah, it's just so compelling. Uh, But the setup is important there. We can't get to heaven but by his grace. And who is my neighbor, the religious scholar asked. Um, This was his attempt to kind of, let's retake control of the conversation here. I, I need to feel better about myself, I guess, because I just feel really lousy. Do this and live. I know I'm not doing it. So tell me who I need to love. And at this point, the tables turn totally around and the hunter becomes the prey. Jesus has this legal scholar in his sights as he tells this story about neighboring. In reply, back to the text, Jesus said... "...a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him, he passed by on the other side." But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return... I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, Jesus is asking the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do Likewise, so there's a crime scene on that highway that connects Jericho to Jerusalem. At the scene, we have a victim who is bleeding out, half dead, been attacked, been robbed, been left to die. Now, we get this glimpse of the way people usually respond to someone who is in need As we watch the priest and the Levite just walk by. The priest is on his trip, spots the victim, stays as far away as he can. Stays far enough away so he can't see the real situation, the real condition of the victim. Maybe the guy's already dead, just turns his head, just keeps walking. The Levite comes along and does the same thing. And we would like to be shocked... We would like to read that and think, how could they do that? But we know we've done the same thing. I know I've done the same thing. Getting involved, it's always risky. It definitely takes time. It took time yesterday to be up here helping With packs and pencils. For those of you who served, thank you very much for doing that. It takes oftentimes a financial commitment, and you're not always sure when you get involved in helping someone exactly how much of a financial commitment is going to be involved. And so, in the story Jesus told, to top it all off, they don't even know the victim, they don't know the guy. Now, we like to spend a lot of time, I mean, I'll just speak for myself. When I read this parable, I like to spend a lot of time imagining, so why? Why did the priest and why did the Levite not stop? What were their excuses? What were their reasons? And uh, we could come up with a lot of different potential excuses, but we know they were God-fearing people. We know they were people who knew the Word of God. Maybe they, they chose not to stop. That's what we know. But maybe the Levite, when he got to the temple, you know, said, you know, I really probably ought to say a little prayer for that guy on the side of the road. I'm going to pray for him. Maybe the priest sent a letter to the highway patrol, the Judean highway patrol. Hey, that road is not safe. You need more policing on that road. Maybe they chose to do something. They did choose, though, not to help the guy. We know that. There's a story about a guy who, who died, went to heaven, arrived at the pearly gates, was greeted there by St. Peter. Peter said, hey, before I open the gates and let you in, I need to ask you something. And the fellow that had just arrived there said, so fire away. Peter said, so why should I let you in? Tell me why I should let you in. The guy thought for a second, he said, well, there was this time when I was walking late at night in a very sketchy part of town and I heard something going on in this alley. So I turned into the alley to investigate and there at the end of the alley, there were these four guys who were attacking this young lady. One of the guys had a knife. And I thought about it and I decided to get involved. And I ran in there and placed myself in the middle of that situation so that that young lady could be safe. And Peter just said, "Well, wow, it's impressive." So, so when did that happen? The Guy looked at his watch and said, "About two minutes ago." <laughs> uh, two minutes ago. Getting involved is risky. Okay, we know that. We know that it's risky. Um, what were their excuses? I, you know. You've heard him before, I imagine. Might have been some religious reasons. You know, if, if the guy was already dead and the priest didn't know, Levi didn't know. You know, if the priest touches a dead body, comes into contact with one, he's ceremonially unclean, can't perform his duties at the temple. Maybe that was the reason. Uh, maybe they had, you know, an agenda to, and I, I've got to be there in an hour. I can't stop. I, I don't know what the real, all we know is they didn't stop. Okay, they didn't stop to help. There are always plenty of reasons not to help, aren't there? Well, lots of reasons. Some of them sound pretty good. Back to Luke chapter 10. So Jesus asks the religious expert, so which of these three was the neighbor, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? The man answers sheepishly, well, the one who showed mercy, he won't even say the word Samaritan. And you know probably the backstory on that. The Jews hated the Samaritans, wide variety of reasons but essentially considered them to be religious and racial half-breeds they wouldn't let a Samaritan into their house they wouldn't interact wouldn't have Samaritan friends they wouldn't interact with Samaritans they would have nothing to do with them so he wasn't going to say the Samaritan's the good guy the Samaritan was the real neighbor so Jesus really puts him on the spot. So what we want to do is talk a little bit about this story, about getting off your donkey, right, to help. Stopping and assisting and neighboring. But before we do that, I think the first thing we need to notice is as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, he tells the story, he is the real good Samaritan. Jesus is. Write this down on your outline. Because of his love for me... Jesus crossed over didn't stay on the other side of the street or in this case the other side of the universe Jesus crossed over from heaven to earth the least I can do is to cross the street to be a good neighbor he left heaven for earth for me I think I can cross the street and help somebody The parable shows us a priest and a Levite who deftly managed to ignore the man lying on the other side in the ditch who was bleeding to death, stay far enough away so they could never really see the situation that person was in. Would you agree with me? There are lots of folks out there around us who are in a ditch people at work, people in your neighborhood, people at school who are lying in the ditch bleeding. I mean not literally, but maybe you know, last week they got that that gut punch of news from the doctor's office that their spouse is dying. I think about two of my neighbors. Well, three of my neighbors really. Elderly couple live 3 doors down from us. Elderly couple who have an adult daughter who is seriously mentally ill she cannot take care of herself she is given to fits of rage and violence throwing things breaking things escaping and wandering around the neighborhood which is where i found her one time didn't know who she was but she was wearing a nightgown bloody finally was able to get from her where she lived to take her home and i'm thinking Oh Lord, how many doctors have they been to to try to help their daughter? How many facilities have they tried to find who would take care of her? Isn't this the time in their lives when their 45, 50 year old daughter is supposed to be caring for them? What's that like hearing her screaming? Wondering how you're going to control her physically. So many people around us, and maybe behind the door of their house, that are struggling, that are in a ditch. People who have gotten themselves into a spiraling debt cycle, and they can't figure out how to get out. Folks who no fault of their own they were victims they were abused sexually by a family member when they were young and they're still living with that they look fine they're not fine how many people around us I mean, really how many people around us are in a ditch and I guess the better question is then how many people are willing to get close enough to them to even see that they are in a ditch, to even be aware of their situation. So loving my neighbor, this is on your outline this morning, a very challenging parable for me. I think it's a still very challenging parable for all of us. First thing is this, loving my neighbor means that I'm actually getting close enough to see I'm not crossing to the other side I'm not looking away I'm getting close enough to see around those around me and to know the ditch that they're in to understand their circumstance to understand their situation to be aware of the messiness of their life to help them I can't help them carry that burden until I know what it is it it means also that I'll look to improve someone's circumstance, and this is the heart of the Good Samaritan, isn't it? It means that I will seek to improve their circumstance without expecting anything in return. The Good Samaritan didn't expect anything back. In fact, he expected there to be probably more expenses, right? Uh, I'll come back and I'll take care of the extra expenses that no doubt will come up. That's a Samaritan to a T. Next, it means I'll recognize anyone as my neighbor. These are some unlikely neighbors in this story, right? And they're, really, they're strangers. They didn't know each other. I will recognize anyone as being my neighbor who God has put me in a position to help. My neighbors may be arriving at DFW today from China. And I'm in a position to help. It's not rocket science. Neighbors are close, okay? Neighbors are close. They're coworkers, they're people in the city that you live in. They are the people around you. Neighbor is, a neighbor is someone who's close enough for you to help. The Samaritan was a good neighbor not because he wrote a check to the United Way, okay? Not that that's a bad thing, okay? But that's not why he was a good neighbor. He was a good neighbor because he saw a need and he stopped and he personally helped that person. Now, this may be the most challenging part at all because I think there is a twisted logic (laughs) that comes from the pits of hell. This twisted logic that is always talking about reaching out. We need to be reaching out more. That is always discussing how we might do more community outreach or win the world for Christ. Always talking in these beautiful generalities about the mission of the church, considering works on the other side of the sea, but doesn't even cross the street to help somebody. I don't think the story lets us get away with that. Do you? <laughs> you know, there's one more thing this story shows us, and it's that the Samaritan, when he got involved, he wasn't just looking for the easy way out. The Samaritan was very obviously committed to the long haul, to the recovery of this victim, of this new friend of his. Remember, he got off his donkey He got the poor guy, bandaged up, applied some oil and wine, some medicine, you know, to kind of antiseptic stuff for the wounds there, put the guy on his donkey, transports him to the inn, pays the bill, says, I'm going to what? I'm going to return at some point. I'll be back by here in a little while. I mean, he's involved with the situation. He's not just flipping a nickel to somebody, you know, sitting on a street corner. So, if I'm going to be a good neighbor, I'm going to commit to the long term instead of the quick fix. Go and do likewise. Those are the last words of Jesus upon telling this story. Go and do likewise, calling us to see people, to listen. To get to know what's going on with our neighbors. Calling us to have compassion, not judgment. Well, boy, you really messed your life up. (laughs) But to listen, to have compassion, to care. And to appreciate the ditch that they're in and see how we can help pull them out. And isn't that what Jesus did for you? Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Um. He saw the ditch that we had gotten ourselves into. And he came to our rescue. He saved us by his grace. And literally, we are saved by the charity of God. That word grace is charis in the Greek. From the root word of our word charity. Now, go and do likewise means that we have been pulled out of the ditch... Not so that we can just hang out by the side of the road and wait until, wait until we get to go to heaven. It means that we have been saved to follow Jesus, to do likewise, to get out there and share His love by getting to know people, having relationships and sharing His love with them. So I guess that's the question. Will we accept that call to be a good neighbor? And the other question would be this. Um, I can't promise you, you know, that you're going to end up like Wesley Autry, that you're going to get invited to the White House or get a medal to hang around your neck or, or anything like that. In fact, the promise is way better than that, isn't it? It's God inviting you to be his son, his daughter, inviting you to live with him forever in glory. So will you accept his grace? Will you believe on the name of Jesus, the one who stopped, who saw you in your situation, and who got involved to the point of giving his life for you? Will you accept that? Will you be baptized into Christ? Will you follow him? Let's respond as we stand together and worship.